Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, tonight, Nancy D. is coming to us from Woodstock. I saw her up at uh, Gainesville at the Hawk Club about two months ago, and she had this exhibit on display. She's formerly the uh, AA archivist for the state of Georgia, and this is her personal collection. And she's living proof that uh, AA can make you a useful <laughs> and happy individual, and I'm so glad that Nancy came to join us. Please welcome her to the podium. Ooh, a lot of people here. My name is Nancy. I am an alcoholic. And um, this is not my favorite thing to do, but when asked to serve in Alcoholics Anonymous, I I say yes, and I'm nervous. I'll calm down in a minute. I am grateful to be here, and Tim, I thank you for uh, inviting me. Uh, It's been a long time since I've been to NABA. And uh, we went by way of downtown Atlanta to get here, but <laughs> we got here. Um, <laughs> I, I was a little irritated with my husband because he took me out all over the place. And, and it's really hard to be spiritual and mad at the same time. So <laughs> so I decided to just let it go. I get here when I got here, and, and here we are, and, and uh, we made it for the... 545 meeting, and it was a really, really good meeting. Um, the bright spot of my life is uh, being with newcomers and, and you people in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I was born in uh, the state of Vermont, April 2nd, 1950, so that makes me almost 63. Uh, I'll do the math for you. And I was born to two loving parents that were good Christian people that brought two alcoholics into the world. My brother, who was five years older, was also a drunk. And um, I followed in his footsteps. My parents would drink maybe a half a drink, and uh, my brother and I would finish it for him. Uh, I didn't come from a dysfunctional family. My brother and I were the dysfunction. Um, I, I had no idea what I did or why I did it until I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and started working on the the fourth and fifth step. And uh, that has given me insight into my behavior, and it has also given me the gateway to freedom. Um, And uh, I've been sober a long time, but um, there's always room for growing. Uh, We never know where our inspiration comes from or our answers come from. And um, I'll share that. A little bit later. Um, my first drink <laughs> was when I was two years old. And uh, I was a cute little kid, crawled under the table, and when my parents were playing cards, I'd drink all their beer. And I got knee walking, puking drunk my, at two years old. I don't remember it, but I've been told about it several times as I grew up. And uh, But I remember every time I was around it, I wanted it. And I fell in love. I absolutely fell in love with alcohol. I liked the burning sensation that went down and the the magic that happens when it hits. 
And I loved it. I loved every aspect of it. And um <laughs> but what it did for me, it took me to places I really didn't want to go. Um I was dating guys that were 21 years of age when I was 12 years old so that I could get the booze. And um and how I ever made it through high school on time, I'll never know. But I, I was active in school. I was active in our church. And, and I loved life. I absolutely loved life. And I also loved alcohol, and I drank it every weekend. Um, my brother covered up a lot of stuff for me so I didn't get caught at what I was doing. Um, <laughs> but the shame, guilt, and remorse that happens when you're doing things that I'm doing against my moral fiber... Um, it just, it piles, it piles up. And I took a drink, and every time I took a drink, I couldn't tell you where I was going to be. I didn't know who I was going to be with. I would wake up with guys I didn't know, uh, doing things I shouldn't be doing. And, and again, the shame, guilt, and remorse just kept packing down there. And um, I, I graduated from high school in 1968, and I went off to the big city to go to hairdressing school, and, and I went wide open. Uh, I was drinking, on the average, in the late 60s, early 70s, the average of about a fifth a day. And um graduated from hairdressing school. Uh, my dad, who was my idol, uh, I loved him more than I loved myself. Um, we had some words, and I told him if he interfered in my life that he may as well forget he had a daughter. And a week later, he died, and um, I was crushed. I was absolutely crushed. And, and I found a way through Alcoholics Anonymous from uh, Dad died in 1969. I got sober in, in 1988. And I found a way in Alcoholics Anonymous to make amends to my daddy and uh, to clear away the guilt and the shame that I had and a way to forgive myself. And it was through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I had an abortion in 1971 because I couldn't see raising a child with a drunk mother, and I just, it never occurred to me not to drink. It just never occurred to me. Um, then in, in uh, 1973, I started getting married, and, um, and I also divorced every one of them. I'll go through these real quick. I got married in 73, 75, 77, 84, 85, 90, and 96. <laughs> I was engaged and disengaged to six others besides the ones I, I took hostage. But I looked, <laughs> I looked, because of all that shame and guilt that I was lugging around inside of me, I looked for people, places, and things to fill that emptiness. And uh, I took a drink because I'm an alcoholic. I didn't take a drink to cover up emotions. I didn't know what I was doing. I took a drink because I loved it. I loved it. And I was always a happy drunk, except when you pissed me off. Then I wasn't so happy. But I, 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 would, I would get 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And if you pissed me off and I was shooting pool, I'd hit you with a cue stick. I, I, I mean, I just, whoop, gone. You know, it's like I knocked out a few of them. <laughs> but I, I have come to realize that I, I would always minimize everything into non-existence. Uh, whatever happened to me in my lifetime, I just I minimized it until it just wasn't there anymore. 
And um, that number three husband changed my world. Um, I was dating this guy, and he was pissing me off, so I figured I'd date Chico to get even with him. And uh, we, were, we were drinking my first date with this guy, and um, we went to to my home afterwards. And in and, and any other story that I've told, I'd tell you he beat me, and I was with him two and a half years, and that was it. Um, in February of this year, I read a book called A Stolen Life. And it was by J.C. Dugard, who was abducted when she was 11 years old, and she was released when she was 29. And if you read that book, it tells you what happened to me with that number three husband. I was abducted at knife point. He put a knife to my throat and told me if I left him, he would kill me and he would hurt my mother. And so I did whatever he wanted me to do. He um, he raped me um, repeatedly. He beat me repeatedly. He uh, brainwashed me. Uh, he made me do things that I didn't want to do. And... Um, when I got to, and I didn't drink while I was with him because I knew me when I drink because my mouth would get in, in gear and he would have killed me. He would have absolutely killed me. So um, we get our, our awakenings and our healings from different sources. Uh, it's been 30 years since I was with him. And, and last this past February, I read the book that awakened what happened to me. And um, I stayed without a drink for two and a half years, and, and I prayed to God every day. I grew up uh, with a Christian God, and I always have believed in that God, and I always will believe in that God. Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me how to have a partnership with that God, of my understanding. And um, so I prayed the prayer, and uh, I told God, I said, I can't live like this anymore. I don't care if he kills me or divorces me. And at that point, he had his hands around my throat, and I was about to check out. And he let go of me, and I ran out of the house. And the next day, he filed for divorce, and I was free. I had nothing. By then, we ended up in uh, Arizona, and um, a girl that I worked with told me when I got sick and tired of being sick and tired, her home was open, and she took me in. And Rose was my angel. Um... I had my dog, my bicycle, and the clothes on my back, and I was free. I was free. Um, and it was uh, another year and a half before I took a drink. And I would try to tell people what had happened to me. And by this time, I went back to that boyfriend I was trying to get even with, and um, I couldn't find anybody that understood they all told me I was crazy, that, you know, they knew me before this happened to me, and they said that person would have never allowed this to happen. And uh, what I what I have come to realize, the um, the significance of this relationship in sobriety is, is uh, when I judge other people, it will come back to me. And I had judged other women that were in abusive relationships. I thought they were crazy and stupid, and I'd ridicule them in public. And uh, when I got sober and started working the steps, I realized that that was an experience that I lived a judgment. And uh, I try not to judge people anymore. I, I can't say that I do it perfectly, but I try not to. I don't want to live the experience. But... Um, uh, when I couldn't find 
anyone that understood, I was so miserable in my own skin. I had no solution to deal with the shame, guilt, and remorse that I had accumulated from the time I was two until I was around 30. Um, so I did the only thing I knew how to, how to do. I picked up a drink. And when I picked up a drink, I went to the liquor store. I bought $600 worth of it, and I took it home, and I proceeded to get as drunk as I possibly could get. And I remember thinking at the time that it was like I had never stopped. It was like I had picked up right where I left off, only it was worse. And I remember thinking that. Um, I had met this guy, Jack, in 1972, and he didn't drink, and he really wasn't a whole lot of fun. So I didn't date him very long at all. Um, but in 1984, I, I was, it was becoming very clear to me that I was getting big problems with alcohol. Um, I, I'd pee the bed and, and I'd take my clothes off in bars and, you know, things that just, you know, a nice girl like me wouldn't do. But you give me a drink and I'll do anything. I'll do absolutely anything. So, I got to thinking about this guy, Jack, that um, didn't drink, and he lived in Georgia, and I'm thinking, you know, that geographical cure, if, I, if only I could hook up with this guy and uh, move to Georgia, everything would be fine. So I got in touch with him. By the way, I had just got married, and um, <laughs> I got married in February, and Jack happened to call me in April. And so my wheels started turning. And so I, I set Charlie, the one I'd married up in his own apartment, and, <laughs> and I called Jack back, and I said, well, I'm a divorce now. So um, he came up to see me in, uh, in October that year, and, and we decided we were going to get together. And um, I came to Georgia and, and bought the land and the house and at Thanksgiving time in January 1st, 1985. I'm in Georgia. I'm here. And... Um, I thought this was going to cure everything. Um, and then the problem started happening with him, and um, uh, it was insane, <laughs> absolutely insane. And I don't have a watch, so somebody's going to have to tell me what time it is. Um, he, he was uh, a Midas trainer, Um for Midas Corporation, and, and he traveled a lot. Thank you. He traveled a lot, and um, I got the opportunity to, to go to Alaska and all these places, and um, he was very closely acquainted with uh, the president of Midas Corporation. So whenever I went with him to these functions, I didn't drink a whole lot because I knew that if I drank more than two, I was off to the races. And so I'd behave myself, and I'd have all the jewelry on. And, I mean, you know, I was like a chameleon. I could fit. I could fit into anywhere you wanted me to fit, whether it was at, at the Midas convention, sitting with the president of the corporation, or, or in this shit-kicking bar with dirt floors. I mean, I could fit anywhere. You give me a drink, and I could fit. And um, so we went to this... Um, we went to the International Convention in San Diego, California, and um, we went down to the cocktail hour, and we went back up to the room, and uh, when we got to the room, um, 
Jack's ex-wife, who was actually living in our house, uh, called and said that, um, <laughs> yeah, it's insane. That's a, that's a story in itself. Uh, she and I got along good because we'd go to the bars and leave him at home with the kids. Um, but I got this call from Donna and she said, um, she said, you've got to find some way to tell Jack that his daughter and his son, her son had been in an accident and his daughter was killed. And um, when, when the shit really hit the fan and I had to be sober, I didn't drink. Uh, why, I don't know. But the, I, I arranged everything. I talked to uh, the president of Midas and he arranged all of our flights home. And uh, this was um, February 28th of 1988. And um, I didn't drink for about two weeks. But then... Um, after the funeral was all over and things calmed down, I, I pitched the biggest drunk you could ever imagine. Um, uh, my last drunk was April 7th of, of 1988. And, um, and I, I stand firm in what I say. My last drunk was that date. My last drink was April 10th, which is my sobriety date. I stand firm in what I say because I'm a true believer that what God promises me and what I hear in these rooms, I will never drink again as long as I do what I do today and get up tomorrow and do again what I did today. I will never have to take another drink. And for me, that's a comfort. I do this a day at a time, but I don't ever want to have to go back to the way I live. Because my luck, if I picked up a drink, I'd probably walk into a bar and pick up another Chico. And I've sat in front of a bar sober, miserable, wanting that gaiety that we find in bars, wanting to go in and knowing I can't. And so eventually I picked up the kit of spiritual tools that changed my mind, but there were some other things that changed my mind. Um... And this was another one of those angels. And this was, I was sober. I was sitting in front of a bar. And um, one of my customers came in. Well, actually, I had never seen her before. She came into my salon and and uh, she sat down and she said, I want to show you some pictures. And she she pulled out these pictures of her daughter that had been beaten to death by a drunk. And I looked at them and, and I knew. I knew that I would never go in that bar. I knew. I had never seen this woman before. I have never seen her since. But she actually walked in my shop, sat in my chair, and showed me these pictures and left. You know, God was working. God was working. Anyway. Um, my very first... Uh, on April 10th, I had my last drink. And um, I believe I had what Bill Wilson describes as, as a hot flash. <laughs> he described his his spiritual experience when the room lit up as his hot flash. But I actually cried out to God. Um, I actually cussed God. Um, saying, why? You know, why in the hell everything I touch turns to a piece of shit? 
You know, I can get stuff and then I lose it. And everything I touch turns to shit. By this time, when I had my last drunk on April 7th, Jack and my stepdaughter left. I had no idea where they were. When I took my last drink on April 10th, I, w- I found myself laying in the fetal position on my bed, and I was completely separated from myself. I looked down, and I understood. Because Jack had told me that I changed from the very first drink, and I thought, maybe the first case. <laughs> Not the first drink, but I could see. And I went back into my body, and I, and I had that, that peace that passes all understanding. And somehow I knew I'd be okay. He came back to talk to me that day. And uh, he he's told me I had to do something about my drinking. And I said, well, don't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. <laughs> I said, I won't drink. And uh, he said, no. He said, he said you're going to have to have help. And it's like, okay. I said, I guess it'll be AA. And I had no recollection. I had had no idea what this was. Um, I went to the phone, called Alcoholics Anonymous. I got Hal Place in Woodstock, and they said that there they wouldn't be a meeting until eight o'clock next night, and asked me if I could stay sober for 24 hours. And I said, Hell yeah! I stayed sober four years one time. <laughs> that, it, I just I won't drink. So I remember it was on a Monday. And I remember thinking to myself all day Monday is like, what in the hell have I done? <laughs> I have promised this guy I would get help. What in the hell have I done? Um, but I went to that meeting, and, and I walked through the doors, and I remember thinking, and I was welcome. People come up to me, and they welcome me with open arms. And, and I remember thinking if they only knew. If they only knew who I was and what I was, they wouldn't want me here. And I remember thinking that just as clear as, as if it was today. Um, I sat in that first meeting, and I cried the whole meeting through. And um, and I listened to what they were saying. And somehow I knew that I was home. Somehow I knew in my heart that I belonged here. And um, and somehow within that first week, I cried for two weeks. I held my, my white chip in my hand and cut hair, and I did not let go of that white chip for two weeks. And, and that's the, the desperation. Thank God for the gift of desperation, because I was so desperate not to drink. I was so desperate to find out how in the hell do you live Life, the way it is meant to be lived, riddled with shame, guilt, and remorse, and that incomprehensible demoralization. I, I, I don't mess around with animals, but I have messed around with some men that look like animals. And... The way I felt inside that the dirt would never go away, I felt, I felt dirty. And, um, and again, we get our messages from a lot of different places. I was given a tape 
by uh, Francine Ward. And when I listened to her take, the magic happened. Because with her story, I figured if she could feel clean, then I could too. And so her story gave me hope. Just like everybody's story that I heard in here gave me hope. Um, I knew that I had to do something different because my way just was not working. Um, all my life I was self-supporting, I was self-sufficient. It was either my way or the highway, and that's why I was married and divorced so many times. When things didn't go right, I just said, hell with you. I just, there's more fish in the sea. <laughs> I just go give me another one. And it seemed to get worse every time I went. Um, I heard a lot of things in here when I got sober, and it said, you know, they'd say, if you want what we have, you do what we do. So... Um, <laughs> I did, I do, and will continue doing what works. I watched the old-timers. Uh, this guy that went around and shook hands with everybody. Well, that wasn't good enough. I went around and hugged everybody. <laughs> and that those hugs fed me. I very seldom ever shake hands. If my hugs will offend you, please tell me, and I will shake your hand. But, but I love the hugs that we have for each other in here. Um, they they sustained me when I got sober. Um, uh, asking for help was not easy for me. Um, it, it was a while before I got a sponsor, but, you know, I, I listened. I listened to what you said, and I listened to what you did to stay sober, and I just listed a few of it. Read the big book. Write in the journal. Go to a meeting every day. Read meditation books. Get into the steps. Get a sponsor. Pray. Get active. Get involved. Try to maintain an attitude of gratitude. And I'm thinking, what an order. I can't go through with it. <laughs> and so I tried to incorporate a little bit of everything into my into my uh, life every day. And uh, I started writing in a journal when I was nine days sober. And there has not been a day gone by in the last 24 and a half years. Actually, it's 9,010 days that I have not written in a journal. Um, I read meditation books every day. Um, and, and I try to work steps into my life, incorporate them into my life every day. Um, and, but I do it a day at a time. <laughs> it's like, I can't do all this. And they say, well, just do what you can do today. Do the next right thing. And it's like, oh, what a concept. Um, I, I became passionate. Uh, about my recovery, and and my passion for recovery today is probably greater than it's ever been. Uh, I found out Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson were both born in the state of Vermont. That's where I was born. So it sparked my interest in the archives. And uh, I collected for a while, and I sat there one day and, you know, looking up at my stuff. I'm ahead of myself. Um, I got involved with a home group, and... Um, they elected me GSR for three years, and after that, I was elected DCM for two years. And then I was sitting there looking at the stuff I had collected, uh, books and notebooks full of stuff, and I thought, what the hell have I collected this shit for? <laughs> and it was not two days later when uh, 
the state delegate called me and asked me if I would be willing to participate as co-chair of the state archives. And I was blown away. I was just absolutely blown away. At that point, the state uh, archives, we didn't have a whole lot. And so whatever I had collected, I made copies of everything I collected. Whatever I had duplicates of, um, I donated to the state of Georgia. And since then, they've, they've got a lot of stuff down there. But uh, after a year of serving as uh, the co-chair, um, I was asked to be the, the chair of the archives for three years. And for four years, um, I was somewhere in the state of Georgia every weekend. And um, the, when I was, while I was archives co-chair, I'm very visual. And um, so I started putting boards together. Uh, with big pictures, and I ended up with 13 boards. And so over the last few years, I've kind of shrunk them down. And and uh, if you've ever seen the, the uh, State Archives uh, display, um, I, I made my own boards, and I took them to Macon, I don't know, 10 years ago. And they liked what they saw, and they asked me if I would assemble them for the state archives. Uh, I didn't get any pay for it. The only thing they supplemented me for was the uh, material I used. And I put together six sets of these boards for the state. Um, I just finished this display about a month ago. And it took me about two months to put together. But it's got more pictures on it than what the state has got right now. And... Um, This is my passion. <laughs> we talked about the obsession at the 545 meeting. <laughs> this is my obsession. Um, I, I love it. I, I absolutely love the history. Uh, Carl Sandberg said, if you ever forget where you come from, you're doomed to repeat it. And, and the history of Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill learned from previous bloopers like the Washingtonian movement, and that's why we have what we have today. Um, <clears throat> in uh, June of 1998, um, well, let's back it up. In 1989, I was handing out chips at the meeting uh, on April 12th, uh, and um, th this guy, that I mean, he was shaking terrible. He didn't smell very good. Um, <laughs> came up and accepted a white chip, and he's sitting out there, my husband, Raleigh. Um, and, and we became friends. Um, for about nine years, we became friends, and we were, <laughs> we were both in bad relationships. So we, um, we were both getting a divorce, and we decided that we were going to try to get together and make it work. So... Um, we were married in the eyes of God, and um, we committed ourselves to to being together. And and um, and it's not always been easy, but I am here to tell you it has been well worth it. Uh, I'm going to make a plug for him. He um, he he's always been there for me. He's um, he's my mate. He's he's everything. He's everything to me. And uh, this year he has written a book 
a, a spiritually based book, and it's awesome. Um, I don't know. I, I'm just so grateful that you're part of my life and part of my journey. Um, I really, I wouldn't be who I am today without you in my life. And uh, we've been together almost 15 years, which is a record for both of us. <laughs> you, you put all of his relationships together, all my relationships together, and combined together is not 15 years. So we, we, we're breaking records. Um, in 1999, um, that brother of mine uh, called me, and he was... He, what it was happening, I'll make it short. He went into DTs, and he he couldn't understand what was what was wrong with him. So I I talked to my sister-in-law. I said, give him a drink and take him to the hospital before he dies. Um, they got him to the hospital, and he was almost dead from alcohol poisoning. And uh, he called me and wanted me to come to Florida and talk to him. So I went to Florida, and he knew his little sister was in AA, and she really needed it. So I went for and talked to him, and I read the chapter on working with others before I went, and uh, I shared with him my experience, strength, and help as best I could. And when I said the word God, he threw up his hand and said he didn't want to hear it. And he came to AA meetings for a while, and um, he bought the lie. He bought the lie that a beer wouldn't hurt him. And on November, on March 17, 2000, he put a gun to his head and blew his brains out. This is a deadly disease. And um, I didn't blame myself. <laughs> um, if I could have saved anybody, uh, I would have saved my brother. But the only one I can save is myself. And um, and hopefully by sharing about him, it will keep somebody. It's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Um but uh, I went right from uh, the funeral to the Flint River Roundup. And that was the first year I displayed the archives there, and, and and they loved me. I don't remember being there that much, but one of the speakers, Keith Lewis, uh, stayed with me almost all weekend. And uh, you loved me through it. Uh, I'd go to AA meetings, and I'd hear the word suicide, and I wanted to die. And there were times that I, I thought, you know, maybe he had the right idea. But I don't believe it's my right to take my life, and, and I can't drink, so what do I have left is pick up his spiritual tools. So I, I just kept doing the next right thing, and it passed. Uh, but you people held me up. You held me up, and you held me together. Um, in uh, August of 2012, I had to put my dog to sleep. Uh, I had for 12 years. Um, October 2002, my sister-in-law died of brain cancer. A week later, a good friend, a real close good friend of mine died after a week after she did. And then in November 2002, my stepfather died. He had 17 years of sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. He died sober. And it left left just my mother and I, so I had pretty much decided that I was going to go back to Vermont to be with my mother. And um, we talked in, in February 2003, and if I could be just half of the, the person my mother was, um, I'd be doing good. But she uh, she said to me, she said, no, 
She's I'll sell my house in Vermont and we'll buy one in Georgia. And uh, she said, I cannot disrupt your life. She was 80 years old. And so she, uh, I went to Vermont. I made two trips up there and packed her house up. And, and then the third time uh, Raleigh and I went up, we moved her down here. And um, But she said, you know, you got sober in Georgia. Uh, you can't you can't leave your support system and she said your business is in Georgia and um, she said I don't want you to have to start over again so uh, the unselfishness of my mother and, and my mother always gave me that unconditional love I don't care I went to church with her drunk she didn't care as long as I was there you know I mean it just ama- amazes me absolutely amazes me so anyway, we arrived in Georgia June 2003, and um, she and I traveled together. I, I didn't get in the car without her in it, and um, she came to AA meetings with me. She loved you drunk. <laughs> she loved all of you. She she just she loved being in meetings. She wasn't a drunk. Uh, she went to the roundups with me. Um, we we traveled Florida to see her grandkids, my brother's kids, and. Uh, I took her back to Vermont every summer to see family and friends. And um, in June of uh, 2006, she and I went to Vermont. And um, I, I went to New Hampshire to see a girlfriend. And I got back to Vermont on a Tuesday night. And we played cards and had supper and joked and laughed and went to bed. And when I got up the next morning, she was dead. And um, it was the best three years of my life. I lost my mother and I lost my best friend. And again, my very first thought was I want a whole ocean full of it and I want to go right to the bottom because I don't want to feel what I got to feel. And my next thought was called 911. And um, my aunt and uh, her daughter-in-law took care of everything. I, I just went numb. I, I just went absolutely numb. And we walked through the funeral. We had the funeral out there in the burial. Uh, that's where she wanted to go anyway. So she was so unselfish in her life. She was still unselfish in her death. Um, I called my girlfriend at 11 o'clock that night, and I didn't get off the phone until 5 o'clock in the morning, and she just sat there and listened to me. You held me up. If it wasn't for you left under my own devices, I would drink. But you you help remind me. How many in here under 30 days? All right. Hi, you guys are in for the ride of your life. You are in for the ride of your life. This is the most powerful, powerful thing that we have. It is one of the world's largest movements. We are part of a worldwide network. Is it easy? No. <laughs> no, it ain't easy to feel all the stuff we got to feel. But the freedom comes in working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's where our freedom is. Um I was in a car wreck this year in, in March. Uh, <laughs> girl, this, this girl I was going to save that I work with, uh, she and I were going to an AA meeting and we got rear-ended about 50 miles an hour. And, um, 
It was just like God had put a bubble around us. I got I got slight whiplash and uh, compressed ribs, and that's all that was happening to me. And I went to the chiropractor, got fixed, and I'm fine. Um, and I was sick almost the whole month of September. <laughs> I don't do sick well. I don't do sick well. But I'm still hairdressing. Um, had, had I stayed drinking, I would have lost my business. I, I, there's no doubt in my mind because I, at the, that's, that April 7th, I did something I swore I'd never do because I love hairdressing. I, I, I'm, I've been doing it for 45 years. I'm 62 years old. And if I live to be 100, I, I hope I can do it until I'm 100 years old. I love doing what I'm doing because it's a service to people. I serve. I go to work to serve and I get money for it. Um, I have clients that are 93, 85. <laughs> I love them, these little ladies. I just lost my whole trans on. <laughs> oh, that that last drunk, I started drinking at 1 o'clock in the afternoon at work. And uh, I did a perm, I think it was somewhere around 7. I've, I've, I've still got the card. I don't really remember what I did, but you can hardly read the card of my handwriting. Um, but I went home then. I smashed everything in my house. I, I was so angry, so angry. And, and I don't forget I don't forget where it comes from. I don't want ever, you know, I got mad at him coming up here because he took the wrong way. But the kind of anger that I felt my last drunk, I don't ever want to have to feel again. It was rage. I was enraged. Um, yeah, it, it says in our book, it is easy to let up on spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. Um, we are headed for trouble if we do for alcohol is a subtle foe. Uh, I believe, I believe what's in that big book. I read the big book from cover to cover my first week and I believed every word that was in it. Um, there was no doubt in my mind that I was an alcoholic. There, there has never been any doubt in my mind from the time I can remember that that I wasn't a drunk. And I tell you I was a drunk. I'd be proud of it. I could drink any man under the table. Uh, I could. I, I could. I had a huge capacity uh, for alcohol. And um, and how I could still stand upright and, and function, I don't know. Uh, it's by God's grace. I, I died from alcohol poisoning in the early 70s. Uh doctor told me that my heart had stopped twice that night, and I only drank two and a half fists of, of uh, liquor at the VFW, and then I went home and polished off a, a pint of Thunderbird wine, which is awful stuff. But they told me I did a flip and, and died, and they got me to the hospital, and they brought me back. And, and the doctor said to me when I was leaving the hospital the next day, he said, don't you think you drink too much? And I said, yeah, maybe. <laughs> And uh, I went to the liquor store and bought me a bottle. I mean, God, if you'd been through what I'd just been through, you'd need a drink, too. I did. I went right to the liquor store and bought me a bottle. Um, the thing that 
I think has saved me over and over again in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is when I first got sober, I heard a lot in meetings that an attitude of gratitude, grateful drunk, don't drink. And so, and I mean, I was so negative and, and my, all the committees that were going on up in my head and, and they still can get going. I call them the committee of idiots. Um, I, I, I would sit down and write lists, uh, gratitude lists every night. That's what my sponsor had me do. And it's like, oh, I don't want to do it. She's like, I don't give a shit if you want to do it or not. Just do it. You know, the Nike, just do it. Just do it. Check it off. Just do it. And I had a list. I had my list and, and everything I needed to do every day. I, I wrote it down because I was so screwed up in the head. I couldn't think. And, um, and the only, the only color I wore back then when I first got sober was black because I couldn't decide what to wear. Uh, so I just wore black. <laughs> and as you can see, I can still not decide what to wear. I, I kind of changed the color of the tops, but. Um, but the attitude of gratitude is one of the most powerful things, the most powerful tools that we have. And it can, it has been a quick fix for different things that I've been through in sobriety. And the really most awesome thing that, that this attitude, this gratitude thing, it's free. You don't have to pay for it. It's free. All you gotta do is Think it. And the more you think gratitude, sooner or later it's going to travel from here to here. And once it hits the heart, you're full. It fills you up. But it's free. And it's simple. And it's a quick fix. All you have to do is do it. (laughs) It's like, oh... And I would complicate the hell out of anything. If you told me to do this, I would dissect it. I would, I would spend hours trying to figure it out. And then when I got to that point where my way again in sobriety was not working, I started taking the simple steps. And, um, there's been a lot of things in sobriety that has happened to me, uh, that, um, because of the work I've done on myself, I have been able to pass through. Uh, I, I have, I don't butt heads with people out there, the, the normal people. I don't butt heads with them. But I bet, I butt heads with you guys. And, um, I, I've come up, come up against some real trying situations. Um, and one of them was when I was dating this married man. Um, <laughs> I never dated married men when I was out there because I couldn't marry them. And here I am sober. I was about four years sober and I'm dating this married man and I'm thinking, what the hell's wrong with this picture? But again, I, you know, after I inventoried it and, and struggled with it and I don't recommend it to anybody to do that sober. Um, but again, I had passed judgment on women that got caught up in, in, uh, tangled up with married men or were married and, and, were cheating on their husband, and I would condemn them publicly. And uh, so I lived the experience. And when I finally came to that, then I was able to let go. There was, there was so much that happened in that period of time. My sponsor dumped me on my rear end, and um, I, I got ridiculed in meetings, openly in meetings. And um, 
I don't have anywhere else to go. <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous is my last stop, and I'm staying. I, I don't give a damn. What you think of me is what I think of, my, of myself. And because of these 12 steps, now you got to remember, I was only four years sober when all that shit was happening, and I wanted to walk out the door, and, but I don't have anywhere to go. So, um, and then when I was chair of the archives, I pissed off my co-chair, and um, she spread it all over the state of Georgia that I was stealing from the archives, and uh, <laughs> I still had a year to serve, and I'm thinking, oh, shit. Um, I didn't do it. So I, I would go to the podium and I would speak to the assembly and I could hold my head up because I didn't do it. And the uh, sad part of it is I do know who did it, but they have to live the consequences of their own actions. Um, you know, we're all held accountable for our own actions. It's called law of attraction. And whatever you put out there in the universe, I guarantee you we'll come back to you if you're putting out good things good things will come back if you're putting out negative and crappy stuff negative and crappy will come back um the, the only thing i can do is just try to do the next right thing and, and in doing trying to do the next right thing i i live my way into right thinking uh, I have utilized what the big book has told me to do, and that's to see where religion is right. Um, I have I've tapped into a lot of different sources uh, for my spiritual growth. Uh, I do go to church. Uh, I did tell our minister that if I had a choice, um, or if I had to choose between church and Alcoholics Anonymous, I said I'm sorry, I'd have to choose AA because AA is what saved my life. And Alcoholics Anonymous is what back, brought me back to the God of my understanding, which is is the power which sustains me. Uh, without God in my life, I am nothing. And the big book says God either is or he isn't. And there's no middle of the way for any of us. You know, how it works is half measures availed us nothing. You know, if you put half, half, of, of the energy into this that you put into your drinking, incredible things will happen. And I am here, standing here before you, and I can honestly say I've never let, rested on my laurels. I have hung on to Alcoholics Anonymous with my, my entire soul and my entire being because I want what God has to offer me, and I am going to have it. And I am going to have it all. If you put 100% into this, you will get 100% out of it. Half measures avail us nothing. You put half measures into this, you're going to half-ass it. Bottom line, suggested steps. Well, you know, it's suggested if you jump out of an airplane and you have a parachute, it's suggested you pull the ripcord, save your life. There are so many musts in the big book that if you want what we have, and are willing to go to any lengths, you do what we do. And I had to follow the instructions in order to save my life. But I not only wanted to save my life, I wanted to save my sanity. At two years old, getting drunk, I wasn't sure there was anything to restore me to. Because that's the only thing I knew was, was craziness. And um, But God has restored me his sanity. 
uh, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results is, is, uh, uh, insanity. And I did that my, my entire life. I even did it sober. You know? <laughs> as long as we learn the lessons, you know, learn, learn as we go. Um, and, and practicing these principles at, at step 12, um, I was a perfectionist when I got here. I, I had to look just right. I had to have the house, the, the clothes, the car. I figured if I got everything out here looking good, I'd be okay. Well, <laughs> that perfectionist got me almost dead. Um, so practicing these principles makes for progress not perfection and as long as I'm working the 12 steps and and I'm making progress uh, I'm a long ways from where I was 9,010 days ago a long ways where I want to go I'm a long ways from attaining my goal but I know the 12 steps will take me there Um, it, it has been through service that the greatest rewards are to be found but to be in a position of offering true, useful, and effective service to others, I must first work on myself. Work on myself has taught me how to find the necessary peace and serenity uh, to successfully merge inspiration and experience. I have learned how to be, in the truest sense, an open channel of sobriety. Thank you uh, for my sobriety, and I thank God, and God bless you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.